0: What I'm here to do is to invite us into worship and into prayer, um, and, I'll, and we're this season sharing um, things that we have seen God doing this year that give us a reason when we come in to want to give Him our worship, and give Him our songs, and give Him our prayers, and so... Um, I shared at the very beginning of the year that 2016 has been a a, a rough year for our family. Um, And uh, and that has kind of remained true as 2016 has continued on. However, along the way, I've also seen God do great things. Just when we needed it. One of the reasons our year was so bad was for some some, uh, economic reasons. And as always happens when you have economic trouble, right, your refrigerator or some other very large, very expensive appliance ceases to function. So right at the height of our most fearful time, we open the refrigerator to a mostly room temperature fridge. And we call the gentleman, first thing in the phone book, and and he came out within an hour, and he fixed it very inexpensively and we just praised the lord and then a short time later the car made a funny noise <laughs> so we took it to the the car fix it guy and he said oh it's not that big a deal and he twisted something in there and made the noise go away and sent us home for free and we praised the lord and then last week it was getting awful hot in the house the air conditioner was not blowing cold air. So my brother recommended somebody from higher power heating and air. I thought that sounded like a good sign. <laughs> and uh, he came out. He looked at the thing for like two minutes. He came back and he goes, okay, I'm sorry. But see these melted wires going to the compressor? That usually means something terrible has happened inside the compressor. He said, that'll be very expensive. But let me, let me look. I said, okay. And uh, a minute later, he yells up, hold your foot over the vent. So I held my foot over. I said, it's working. He goes, it wasn't the compressor. The wires just melted. And then he said, you've been blessed. I said, you have no idea. (laughs) So uh, sometimes I saw Jesus in the gospel saying things like, oh, this bad thing happened so that the glory of God could be shown. And I've always thought that was a a horrible thing for Jesus to say Uh, until I experienced this year all these little bad things that happened, although they sucked the breath out of my lungs for a minute, to see God work and see God care. In the end, I'm I'm a little bit grateful for the fridge and the car and the air conditioner because it reminded me you're having a tough year but I'm still with you. You're not cursed. I hope you during the course of these stories have thought about the things you've seen God do this year. So let us stand together. Have a prayer and give our worship to this God. Father, in good times and in bad, we see you. And what we see of you makes us want to burst out in song. And so obediently, we do so now. In the name of Christ, amen. Father, you indeed give the weary strength. We pray for all who are weary this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Good morning, everyone. We are in part two now of a series on the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Now, if you ask almost anyone who's tried to do that thing where you try to read through the Bible cover to cover, what is the worst part of the Bible to have to read through? Many of them will tell you. Uh, The genealogies, the genealogies, you know what we're talking about? You're going along, you're reading the Bible, you're minding your own business, and then you come upon chapter 4. Cain had sexual relations with his wife, and she became pregnant and he gave birth to Enoch. Then Cain founded a city, which he named Enoch after his son. Enoch had a son named Irad. Irad became the father of Mahushael. Mahushael became the father of Mahushael. Mahushael became the father of Lamech. On and on it goes, right? Our passage this morning goes on like this for 41 verses. Not only is it really boring... It is also really hard to believe. Sometimes you come up to chapter five, verse four. Adam had sexual relations with his wife again. Oh, no, I don't want to do that. I want to do after the birth of Seth. Adam lived another eight hundred years. He had other sons and daughters. Adam lived nine hundred and thirty years, and then he died. His son, Seth, lives to be 912. Seth has a son that lives to be 905. They have a kid named Enoch who died way too early, 365 years old. Seth has a son named Methuselah, oldest person in the Bible, 969 years old. Lamech lives to be 777 years old, and he's the seventh son in the line. Maybe something's going on there. Noah of the ark doesn't have his first child until he's 500 years old. And your kids are making you wait to have grandchildren. (laughs) This stuff is a challenge to us. Most of us, let's be honest, when we come up to a genealogy in our Bible study, just skip it. But the people who are out there eager to prove that the Bible is silliness on the internet, they're not skipping it, are they? They post this passage constantly. So we can't just waltz past it and politely pretend like it's not there. Believe me, I want to. But I want to engage with our scriptures. I want to find out why stuff like this is in there and what it means to us. So our question this morning is, what's up with these crazy genealogies, especially the ones in Genesis chapters 4 and 5? To answer that, I'm going to give you not one, but three sermons for the price of one. In the first sermon, I want to give you what's called a progressive answer. I don't think it's too progressive for this congregation. It's still within the bounds of Christianity, so we'll take a look at it. In the second sermon, I want to give you a traditional answer. I don't think it's too traditional for this congregation, and it's still within the bounds of Christianity, so we'll give it to you. And then somewhere between those two answers, you'll have to decide, where are you most comfortable Or you may have to decide, I don't know yet on this one. Now, the reason why I'm giving two different views, even though I do have an idea and a view of my own, is as I studied this passage and thought about it, my idea is not strong enough for me to stand up here and confidently push just the one idea upon you. For Genesis chapters 4 and 5. Now, in the third sermon that I'm going to give today, I want to give you what is the point of the genealogy. Why is it in our scriptures? What does it teach us about God? You'll see that this point actually flows from both of the other two points of view, and that's why we can have two points of view, because they end up teaching us the same thing about God. And that'll be the main idea this morning. Now, I want to tell you right out of the gate. I'm not going to say that these ancient people did not know what a year was. And that's why the ages are so big. I'm not going to tell you that they were bad with numbers. Ancient Mesopotamians were far better at math and tracking time than many of us imagine. People at this time in this part of the world already had astronomy, algebra, Geometry, they had a calendar that had 360 days and they knew they were losing five and a quarter days a year because every six years they added a 13th month, kind of like a leap month. They already had weights, they had measures, they had money, they figured out compound interest, thanks for that. They already had exponents in their mathematics, they had the quadratic equation, are you still with me? They had pi calculated to 0.06% accuracy. They had the Pythagorean theorem thousands of years before Pythagoras proved it. Which means that for 7,500 years, children have been asking, when will I use this in my everyday life? life. They knew what they were writing when they wrote these ages. So we'll have to have an explanation other than ignorance to cover this problem. So I'm going to go get ready for sermon number one. And while I do that, we're going to have a scripture reading of our passage this morning, all 41 verses. I hope we've put it together in a way that you, you can stay awake.
1: Cain had sexual relations with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Then Cain founded a city, which he named Enoch, after his son. Enoch had a son named Irad. Irad became the father of Methusael. Methusael became the father of Methusel. Methusel became the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women. The first was named Adah, and the second was Zalah. Adah gave birth to Jabal, who was the first of those who raise livestock and live in tents. His brother's name was Jubal, the first of all who play the harp and flute. Lamech's other wife, Zalah, gave birth to a son named Tubal-Cain. He became an expert in forging tools of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain had a sister named Nama. One day Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zelah, hear my voice. Listen to me, you wives of Lamech. I have killed a man who attacked me, a young man who wounded me. If someone who kills Cain is punished seven times, then the one who kills me will be punished 77 times. Adam had sexual relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to another son. She named him Seth, for she said, God has granted me another son in place of Abel, who Cain killed. When Seth grew up, he had a son and named him Enosh. At that time, people first began to worship the Lord by name. This is the written account of the descendants of Adam. When God created human beings, he made them to be like himself. He created the male and female, and he blessed them and called them human. When Adam was 130 years old, he became the father of a son who was just like him, in his very image. He named his son Seth. After the birth of Seth, Adam lived another 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. Adam lived 930 years and then he died. When Seth was 105 years old, he became the father of Enosh. After the birth of Enosh, Seth lived another 807 years and he had other sons and daughters. Seth lived 912 years and then he died. When Enosh was 9 years old, he became the father of Kenan. After the birth of Kenan, Enosh lived another 815 years and he had other sons and daughters. Enosh lived 905 years and then he died. When Kenan was 7 years old, he became the father of Mahalalel. After the birth of Mahalalel, Kenan lived another years and he had other sons Father of Jared After the birth of Jared Mahalala lived another 830 years And he had other sons and daughters Mahalala lived 895 years And then he died When Jared was 162 years old He became the father of Enoch After the birth of Enoch Jared lived another 800 years And he had other sons and daughters Jared lived 962 years And then he died when Enoch was 65 years old, he became the father of Methuselah. After the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close fellowship with God for another 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Enoch lived 365 years, walking in close fellowship with God. Then one day he disappeared because God took him. When Methuselah was 187 years old, he became the father of Lamech. After the birth of Lamech, Methuselah lived another 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Methuselah lived 969 years, and then he died. When Lamech was 182 years old, he became the father of a son. Lamech named his son Noah, for he said, "May he bring us relief from our work and our painful labor of farming this ground that the Lord has cursed." After the birth of Noah, Lamech lived another 595 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Lamech lived 777 years, and then he died. After Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and
0: That's how you read it at home, right? All right, our first explanation of this passage this morning comes from the tweed, jacket, and turtleneck crowd. Church I grew up in, people actually dress like this. All right, so uh, here we have a summary of the uh, passage. So, yep, yeah, there we go. So on the screen, I hope we have a summary of the passage, a chart of the ages. Maybe not. All right, and so, yeah, good, oh, they. Uh, It's on the side screen, it's beautiful, thank you. So in this ancient document, you see uh, it claiming that men are siring children between the ages of 65 and 500 years old. Then they go on to live 365 years up to 969 years old. What I want to tell you about uh, passages in Scripture is that stories have great power to teach us truth. Whether or not those stories actually happened or not, Jesus told the story of a prodigal son. Jesus told lots of parables, prodigal son probably being the most famous. Now we know from Jesus' parable, the prodigal son, that there there never was actually a son who asked for the inheritance early and then went off and squandered it in a foreign land and then came home. And there never was actually a father who sat out on the front porch waiting every day for him to come home. But when he did, ran out and instead of punishing him for being bad, greeted him and was grateful that he had returned to his father. Those people didn't exist, yet that story has become one of our most powerful pictures in all of our faith of who God is and who we are. It's true, even though it did not happen. Genesis chapters 1 through 11 are also ancient parables. From Adam and Eve to Cain and Abel to Noah, what we have are Hebrew retellings of ancient myths that at that time other cultures also had. But the Hebrews retold them and changed them in order to show who God really is. Now, by now you probably know from some class in college somewhere that Sumerians also had a genealogy like this. Sumerians had a list of kings and their ancestors. Let's take a look at that and wait till you see the ages these guys get to. Do we have the Sumerian king list? So one of their kings you know, died at a tender age of 18,600 years old. And the oldest person in their list is 43,200 years old. The Sumerians traced their lineage all the way back to the gods. They believed that first the gods lived on earth, then in mortal humans, and then these guys, and, and, and then themselves. The Hebrews took this type of genealogy and retold it and said, it was never like that. We are not descended from gods There is one God, and he made humans. And all those humans, although they had the opportunity to have eternal life, squandered it. And all those humans have been mortal since the first. In the Sumerian version, you know, they believed that the gods hated humanity. And that they had a magic tree that would give you eternal life. So they put a giant snake around it to to keep humanity from having eternal life. In the Sumerian story, one hero fights through the snake and eats of the tree and turns into a god. The Hebrews take that story and say, no, it wasn't like that. In the Bible's version, God loves humanity. In Genesis, when God makes humans, he says, this is very good. The, the eternal life that God has, also represented by a tree in our Bible, is given to humanity. And the Bible says, if there was a snake in that garden, it was our enemy, the devil, the tempter, who led us towards sin so that we would lose God's free gift of eternal life. That's the story. And these stories are true about us and about God, as true as the prodigal son, whether they ever actually happened that way or not. Christian author C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, when God chose to reveal himself through the Hebrew people, he also chose to reveal himself through their mythological stories. Now, if you prefer a more traditional answer right now, you're saying, hey, wait a minute. If you take this view of Scripture, how do you know what's a myth and what's real? Why do you stop at Genesis chapter 11? Why not just go through and say the whole Old Testament is a myth? Why not just say Jesus and the resurrection are a myth? How will we know? By reading the Bible. Sometimes I think we ignore our own intuition. That when you read these passages... You can tell from the stories themselves what the author intended. When you read Genesis 1-11, through the stories are bigger than life and they are very cosmic. When you switch over to Genesis 12, the style of writing changes. There's no longer ancient stories that resemble them. And it becomes just about one man, Abraham, and his journey, and his wives, and his children. And the story slows way, way down. The more you read in the Old Testament, the more historical and the more like a historical record it becomes. By the time you get to the New Testament, you can clearly tell you are reading letters that were exchanged between people and churches and that they were reflecting on Gospels about Jesus that they believed really happened. So it is by reading and using our mind that will tell the difference. You already are skilled at this. Here I have two book titles, both written by the author C.S. Lewis. So one is the Chronicles of Narnia. The Chronicles of Narnia tells a story about God who takes the form of a lion in order to save children from a witch. Same author, C. S. Lewis, also wrote a book called Surprised by Joy. This is a story of how Jesus Christ came into his life and changed him from an atheist to a follower of Jesus. Now, can you tell which is the myth and which is the autobiography? Well, how can you tell? Because you use your intuition and you read the books and you can tell. One of these is a fantasy story. It tells us true things about God. And one of them is a man's autobiography. And it tells us true things about God too. We can tell what the author intended by reading it. We have intuition. This is the difference between reading about Cain betraying Abel and Judas betraying Jesus. With some help from scholars to tell us what else was going on in the ancient world at the time, you can recognize the difference. There is another perspective on these scriptures, and I'm going to go now and get prepared for that one. This perspective comes to us from the suit and jacket, red tie, and big Bible crowd. So let's go back to our summary of our passage today where we have an ancient document claiming that men were siring children between the ages of 65 and 500 years old and then going on to live lifespans of 365 years up to 969 years. Is this unbelievable? Yes and no. If you're a secular person, a person not rooted in the story of Scripture who doesn't think supernatural things happen, of course this is unbelievable. Maybe not, of course. Maybe secular people believe in more supernaturally things than we give them credit for. If you watch the History Channel lately, the History Channel now considers it, the way they present things anyway, practically an open and shut case that aliens came in flying saucers and built the pyramids. They hardly present any other point of view anymore on that channel. So secular people may find this unbelievable, but not space aliens building the pyramids. Um, They may also believe, um, if if you go online, you look up human immortality right now, There's a lot of gene therapy work going on. And I remember this from when I was biologist, years gone going on 20 years ago, that the the key to immortality actually already exists in our genetic code. We actually already have a gene that would let our cells divide uh, infinitely, but that gene is turned off. But through the introduction of a protein called telomerase, you can let cells divide more. And so the gene therapy idea is either to turn that gene back on or give us telomerase artificially. And they say it could greatly enhance our lifespan, possibly into immortality. Secular people have no trouble believing that through some miracle gene therapy, we might have immortality already built into us. Aside from aliens and experimental gene therapies... Are these lifespans unbelievable? Are they unbelievable for Christians? Don't we already believe in the resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ? Don't we already believe that we will put on new bodies that will never die at our own resurrection? Don't we believe that the reason why we die is because sin entered humanity through Adam and Eve and their descendants And took it from us. But that without that, they too would have lived forever. God's original intention. If those are our beliefs, then what you see in these genealogies in scripture is how death came into the human population. It appears death did not come by going from immortal to instantly into lifespans of 70 or 80 years on average like we experience now. It appears it came this way. In the genealogy today of Adam and Noah, the average lifespan is 700 to 900 years. But if you read a little further, it starts to degrade. From Noah to Abraham, 200 to 600 years is the average lifespan. From Abraham to Moses, it really drops off. 100 to 200 years is the average lifespan. And after Moses in our scriptures, which is only the second book of the Bible, all the lifespans are in the 70 to 80 year range on average. With a few peaking higher than that, just as every year they show us a Japanese woman who's celebrating her 120th birthday and we're all astonished. You have to ask at some level, if I believe eternal life for humans was the original plan and that death came into this world through sin, then death coming in this way gradually is as likely as any other explanation. Now if you prefer a more progressive answer, the, you're more of the tweed jacket and turtleneck crowd, you'd say, well, if you're going to believe the Hebrews' mythological stories, why don't you believe everybody else's mythological stories too? Why do you dismiss the Greeks and Zeus and all that and, and Odin and Thor from the, the Norse people and, and their mythological stories? Why do, you make the, why do you make the Christian and Jewish ones real? Same answer. By reading the stories and using our mind and using our intuition. When I used to check out the Greek mythology and Norse mythology from my junior high library over there at Pleasant Lee, junior high back then, never even occurred to me to think, wow, I wonder if this really happened. A child can tell this is very unlikely. Now, the supernatural claims of the Bible are equally wild, but maybe not equally wild. Some supernatural claims are easier to believe than others. God appearing to Mary in order to bring Jesus into the world through a virgin is a wild story. But I don't think it's anything compared to Zeus appearing in the form of a swan or turning into a golden rain and raining through prison bars on a virgin in order so that she and lots of other girls around town, by the way, can bear him all these illegitimate super children who then he has to guard from his jealous wife and his brother by giving them winged shoes and flying horses so they can cut off Medusa's head and shoot magic arrows at the chimera. Those stories are really, really different. We can pretend that, well, I can't tell the difference between that and the Bible, but can't you? Can you really not? Again, it's by reading and engaging our mind that we will tell the difference. In fact, even ancient people found the Bible stories more plausible. That's why in the New Testament, you see Roman soldiers and Ethiopian court officials traveling to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. People from other cultures saying, oh, I think the God of the Hebrews has a more believable story for me. And you see that in the New Testament scriptures already happening. So, which of these perspectives sits best with you this morning? Or maybe you think, mm, I don't know, I'll need some time to think about that. What I want to do now is asked the question we really need answering this morning. What can these genealogies teach us about us? And what can they teach us about God? And that's going to be Sermon 3. And I'm going to go prepare for that now. After Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the garden, and after Cain murdered Abel, we see in this scripture the downward spiral of humanity. Chapter 4, verse 19. Lamech married two women... The first named Adah and the second was Zillah. Polygamy now enters our story, going outside the sexual boundaries. Every story about polygamy in the Bible is negative. Even though there's no Bible passage that says in one line, Thou shalt not have more than one spouse, there are no good stories about it in Scripture. There's no happy families in Scripture who practice it, no laws in the Torah or Leviticus supporting it or describing how to make it work, and no evidence that the Hebrews themselves practiced it after 700 BC. And before 700 BC, the only people we see practicing it are the rich and powerful. The downward spiral continues in verse 23. One day Lamech said to his wives, Adon, Zillah, hear my voice. Listen to me, you wives of Lamech. I have killed a man who attacked me, a young man who wounded me. If someone who kills Cain is punished seven times, then the one who kills me will be punished 77 times. Violence now enters our story again. In the seventh generation since Adam, we now see Lamech, as the perfect representation of where all this is headed a guy who murders a youth for punching him and he plans to do it again and even he even believes God will protect him in all his future murders the human race is falling apart sinking deeper and deeper into sin you know in Hebrew that seven is the perfect number seven represents wholeness And Lamech is the seventh son from Adam in the line of Cain. And he perfectly represents the story of the human race. Lamech was violent and we are violent. Today, terrorism and wars inflict revenge and senseless bloodshed back and forth, killing and maiming innocent bystanders. Lamech, was a polygamist. Lamech goes outside the sexual boundaries. Today, we go outside the sexual boundaries. In our culture, we act like we are very sophisticated about sexuality and sexual identity. We act like we have it all figured out. We are super, super enlightened. Meanwhile, one in 20 boys and one in five girls are sexually assaulted by the age of 20. And those numbers are huge improvements from what they were in my generation. Children see sex acts now performed on primetime television every night. Kids are sharing hardcore pornography on their phones during school. They are reading it and watching it in your living room while you're in the same room with them eating dinner. Kids are stealing prescription drugs. They're being given illegal drugs. They are raiding their parents' liquor cabinets. They're getting into sexual situations while under the influence, and then they are confused. Was I drunk? Was I consenting? Or was I just assaulted? They don't know. Most sexual assaults happen at the hands of a family member or a close, trusted family friend. How can anyone know anything about their sexual identity being raised in a cesspool like that we are not sophisticated we are not enlightened we are not civilized we are lost in the family tree of Lamech. Lamach was also the leader of a tribe a leader who abused his power horribly how are we feeling about our leaders these days I don't think we vote anymore for the leader we like best. I don't even think we vote for the leader we dislike the least. I think we now vote against the leader we dislike the most. This genealogy has perfectly told our story. But there's another story. Verse 25. Adam had sexual relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to another son. She named him Seth, for she said, God has granted me another son in place of Abel, whom Cain killed. When Seth grew up, he had a son and named him Enosh. At that time, people first began to worship Yahweh, the Lord, by name. At the same time, the story is going to hell in a handcart, people are also calling upon the name of the Lord. You know, there's also a seventh son of Adam on this side of the family tree. Verse 23, Enoch. Enoch lived to be 365 years old, walking in close fellowship with God. Then one day he disappeared because God took him. Even in this sinful time, this story tells us it is possible to walk with God. And though every other line in this genealogy ended with the phrase, and then he died, Enoch has a more mysterious ending Then one day he disappeared because God took him. He's gone. God has the power to give someone a fate other than death. That sort of thing is going to happen two more times in the Old Testament. Moses and the prophet Elijah. And then Moses and Elijah will reappear in the New Testament, standing on either side of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration as Jesus makes a way for all humanity to return to the hope of eternal life. Jesus will undo what Adam did. And some righteous folks from those genealogies will stand with him. You know, the Gospel of Luke traces the Jesus family tree back to Adam, and it goes through the line of Seth. So this morning is a morning for all of us to ask ourselves which line am I in? Am I from the family tree of Cain, lying? Am I a son of Lamech? sexual misconduct, misusing power, hurting the people I'm supposed to be taking care of? Is your family tree about meaninglessness? Not about anything? Came from pointlessness, headed into purposelessness? What are you doing? And why are you doing it? What part of you is actually a part of something that is important and has any meaning at all? Or are you from the line of Seth? Do you call upon the name of the Lord? Are you sharing the hope of Jesus with those around you? Are you living in this world in God's way, trying to follow the model of Jesus as best you can? Jesus Brought his family tree into this family tree, and he's coming into your family tree. Let me tell you about my family tree. I actually don't know the names of my descendants past my one great great grandfather. I was born to teenage parents who became divorced parents. I am one of those abused boys by a trusted relative. My dad took me to church. He did the right thing. I just didn't get it. I lied. In high school, I tried to invite girls over to sleep with them. I was horribly rude to people. You really can't imagine how rude. Rude to friends, rude to bosses, rude to teachers. God gave me gifts and talents and I wasted every single one of them to belittle others and promote myself in the cheapest possible ways. I had no point to live. I knew what purposelessness was. I once got a bottle of pills out of the medicine cabinet and set them on the stairs and stood on the landing and just stared at them. Laying out the pros and cons of taking them all. From despair and depression, I started to lose weight until a friend told me I looked like a heroin addict. I came to a crossroads to either get serious about sinning or drop it completely. No more straddling the fence, too much stress. Too much irritation to straddle the fence. Deny God and get on with it or move toward Him at full speed. One night in a fit of despair, I sat in bed, I was crying. I can remember the tears were hot where they landed. And in desperation, I said, God, if you can change my heart, I will give you my whole life. Two weeks later, I was at the corner of 291 and Blue Parkway over by the highway patrol station. You always remember exactly where you were when something significant happens. There I was at that corner waiting for the cars in front of me to turn when something inside me, God, said three words. Notice anything different. and it washed over me. I hadn't had a lustful thought, a dark thought, an addictive thought, a desire to belittle anyone in the last two weeks ever since the night I prayed that prayer. My eyes filled up with tears. I couldn't drive safely. I just pulled over there and cried with joy. That night I prayed, God, if you'll change my heart, I'll give you the rest of my life. Now it was time for my end of the bargain. What did God want from the rest of my life? Evidently, a part of that was to share the good news with someone else. And so I'm sharing it with you. He can set you free. He can reveal the point and the purpose for which he made you. Look at all the gifts he's given you. Don't look at the bad Look at all the gifts he's given you. Why? A great African American pastor once said, "You have to ask yourself of all the funerals there have been so far, why has one of them not been yours?" Is this world horrible? Yes. Is there another lineage going through this horrible world? Yes. This is the point of these genealogies that we can watch as humanity spirals down to also see God planting the seed of hope and that family tree of hope growing through these pages of scripture until it reaches Jesus Christ and flowers into green and abundant life that someday will overwhelm this entire story and this entire world. The lineage of Christ is the lineage of hope. It has become my story. It has become many of your stories. It can be your story too. You can accept him right where you are. You can pray something like, God, if you will change my heart, I will give you my whole life. Chris has prepared some songs for us. Um, This first song is a time to pray. Maybe you gave your life to him a long time ago. Today pray, what's next, Lord? What do you need from me now? I have given you my whole life and I'm here to hear your call again. Maybe this would be the first time right where you're sitting you could pray. Lord, if you'll change my heart, I'll give you my whole life. Come into my family tree and change it. Let it grow again. Let it grow into a good direction. Make it healthy again. Fill it with life again. Fill my family tree with life. You pray that today he will come and you'll always remember just where you were sitting when that happened. Uh, Let us stand together and I want to give you a good word. God does sing over you and you are his children. May you feel this morning a new shoot of life on your family tree. May you water it well with the power of the Spirit. May you have brothers and sisters to help you tend it, tie it up when it's broken, cover it when it gets frosty. May your family tree flourish and grow into a strong redwood of life. In his peace, go forth. Hope to see you tonight. Amen.